Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality, this time live on the morning of October 24th, 2023. And for those of you that are used to coming in for hangouts and headlines at this time of day, this is a virtual legality because we're going to be diving a little bit deeper into things like bylaws interpretations and rule sets more than just articles. But we do have an article to look at today. And for those of you that were here last week, you may have seen me talk about this story, NCAA investigating Michigan football amid sign-stealing allegations and how I am self-interested in this story as I am admittedly because I am a Michigan Wolverine. I am a graduate of the University of Michigan Law School. I'm a big fan of the Michigan football program. And if all other things were equal, I would hope that the stories that we discussed last week were not true. But more has come out, and there are certainly indications that something has happened here, and I want to talk through them with you because I think there are important things to discuss as to both the spirit of the rule and the black letter words on the page of the rule and whether or not it was violated. Now, as I talked about last week, one of the things that's an issue with this particular story is that Michigan and its head coach, Jim Harbaugh, generally like to stand in front of the crowd and talk about ethics and morality and be the leaders and best and all the various things that Michigan says. So one of the things that's happening behind the scenes is that to the extent that there is a cheating scandal at Michigan, a lot of folks that are invested in football or the NCAA or sports in general are enjoying seeing Michigan hoisted on its own petard, if you will, right? So Jim Harbaugh is experiencing what many politicians across the world have experienced, which is that if you're going to stand in front and talk about morality and ethics, you better make sure your house is clean. And Michigan's house may not have been clean. So with that as our background, let's talk about that a little bit. And also acknowledging that, as I said at the top, I am 100% a compromised uh, deliverer of news on this. I would be hoping that all of this falls apart for the NCAA and that Michigan didn't actually have any problems with the rules. And I know number, a number of you are going to be in the live chat either on Michigan's side or Ohio State's or Michigan State's or anybody else's. And that's fine. I'm going to take those questions and comments, certainly at the end of the video, maybe before, depending on whether or not we get a pause in what I'm analyzing. But before we get to that point, I just want to point out, hey, I know. All right. You can take that with the tilt that I'm delivering it. Hey, this is a biased source. I'm going to just disregard everything he says. That's OK with me. But we're going to try to look at this as objectively as possible. I also want to mention that this channel is supported by viewers and listeners like you. If this is your first time in the space, please do check out the links below this video to Utreon and Patreon, which are separate support tiers that allow us to get away a little bit from YouTube just deciding to demonetize or otherwise make life difficult for me and other creators on this platform. Check those out. Otherwise, you can sign up for membership. Super chats are always appreciated. I will hit those when I can during the course of this video. But otherwise, if this is your first time here and you'd have no idea whether or not you like anything that I'm doing, please don't feel obligated to do any of those things. Like, subscribe, telling folks that we're having these conversations. Every little bit helps. With that said, let's talk about ESPN and the article that they released yesterday. Sources, Michigan staffer had tickets at 11 Big Ten schools. And we're going to talk about this with the understanding that it is a violation of the rules to in-person scout opponents of your team during the same season that you're going to play them, right? And we talked about this last week. This is a rule that was put forth in the mid-1990s, primarily for the sake of equitable competition, that a big program like Michigan might have enough money to send scouts to every specific opponent and get in-person scouting reports, but a smaller program probably doesn't, and that it's not useful to have that kind of disparity in resource use for the actual playing of a football game or other sports in the NCAA. And so this was put in place to really kind of guard against winning sporting events solely by use of resources. Connor Stallions, the, the, the suspended Michigan staffer at the center of the NCAA's sign-stealing probe, purchased tickets in his own name for more than 30 games over the past three years at 11 different Big Ten schools, sources at 11 different league schools, told ESPN. So there's a couple things we're going to highlight here as we read through this article. One is the number of times that it says sources say which we can interpret as meaning that the ESPN writers here didn't actually see for themselves some of the underlying evidence, which doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but it does mean that just like the announcement last week, all of this is getting reported maybe a little earlier than we would expect in other contexts. The scope of the University of Michigan's alleged sign-stealing operation 
includes both video evidence of electronics prohibited by the NCAA to steal signs and a significant paper trail, sources told ESPN. Now, this is getting pretty close to essentially legal interpretation. So we're going to hold on that for just a second. But ESPN is going to assert that what it's going to describe here is a violation of the rules. And we'll talk about why that's maybe a little bit more of an open question as we go through this video. Stallions forwarded the tickets he bought to at least three different people in different areas of the country, sources say, which hints at the breadth of the operation. Now, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, right? ESPN has reported on this a number of times. Yahoo reported on it. The Athletic reported on it. This is a big deal story for these various outlets. So it is important to note that what they reported on last week is going to be defended on just by kind of institutional inertia a little bit. To me, hearing that a, a random staffer at the University of Michigan forwarded tickets he bought, as we will see, through his own credit card on places like StubHub is not the vast network elaborate conspiracy that was hinted at in the athletic article, for instance. But ESPN is going to defend it here and says that buying these tickets and sending them to different parts of the country are hinting at the breadth of the operation. The NCAA is expected to receive video evidence this week of illegal technology, which is just an interesting phrase, right? What is illegal technology? Is that like Department of Defense chips that are illegal to export to various countries around the world? I'm, I'm not sure. But what they mean is technology that would be used to violate the NCAA rules. An opposing Big Ten school locked up in, looked up in-stadium surveillance video from the game earlier this year, and sources said the person in the seat of the ticket purchased by Stallions, which I think we can read as not Stallions himself, held his smartphone up and appeared to film the home team's sideline the entire game, which would annoy the heck out of me if I was sitting behind that person. Sources confirmed to ESPN that Stallions purchased tickets on both sides of the stadium, across from each bench, for Ohio State's game with Penn State on Saturday. Michigan plays both teams in upcoming weeks. Yes, both of those games are in November. According to sources, the tickets purchased by Stallions were not used Saturday. Stallions' name emerged publicly in an ESPN story Friday. He was suspended with pay by Michigan, which to me suggests that Michigan knows that there's a scandal here and that he is the center of it and he, they need to do something like suspend him. With pay suggests that they're not entirely sure that it's against the rules what he did either. None of the tickets that the 11 schools told ESPN about involved Michigan as an opponent. Remember that phrase. The games involved either one or both of the teams that the Wolverines were playing later that season. Stallions did not respond to ESPN's request for comment. Michigan on Monday reiterated that it is unable to comment further due to the ongoing investigation. So that's another interesting aspect of this story. These reporters can report on this. The NCAA can kind of talk about it as well and leak things. But as we've seen in other investigations with Michigan and other schools, the parties that are at the center of these investigations aren't generally allowed to talk for virtue of those NCAA rules themselves. The Big Ten says it's important that we uh, have the integrity of competition. I agree. As I said last week, if Michigan were doing things that were in violation of the rules, regardless of whether or not they actually conferred a competitive advantage, I would be upset about that. And it's looking more and more like at least someone at Michigan was doing these things. Michigan is ranked number two in the AP poll looking for its third consecutive trip to the college football playoff, hopefully going better than the last two. It is the current betting favorite to win the national title. Sources indicated that Stallions forwarded tickets to at least three other individuals, with the ticket transfer showing up through ticket data tracking. Those tickets were used by individuals other than Stallions, so here we get to the meat and potatoes of the question, a little bit down the line in the article, to get into the game, including the one in the video the NCAA is expected to receive. So what this article says to us is that we don't actually have this gentleman, Stallions, in the stadiums themselves. We have him buying the tickets, and then we have other people potentially recording the opponent's sideline from those seats. Sources told ESPN last week of an elaborate scouting system. Now, I ask you in the chat, folks, does this sound elaborate to you? This is something I could put together in my seat here, in, in my office, without moving. But, hey, if that's elaborate, that's fine. I don't support any of the things that are alleged here. I just don't know that it's elaborate or a vast network or anything like that. That's all editorial, right? That's your hangouts and headlines portion of the discussion. Stallions often purchase the tickets with his own credit card, according to sources. Now, if I'm looking at this like a criminal prosecution, I say, well, that suggests that this individual doesn't actually think that he's violating the rules. Now, that doesn't make him right, right? There's all sorts of criminals that do things that they don't think are against the law, and they do. He doesn't appear to think that this is a violation of the rules, and I'm not so sure he's wrong. I'm not so sure he's right either, but we're going to talk about that in a second. The ticket purchases fall into a seat location pattern somewhere around the 45-yard line and raised up enough 
for a clear view of the opponent's sideline. One source told ESPN that Stallions bought tickets to five different games at that school over the past three years. Another said it was four games over the past two years. Now, this is just weird writing because this is different sources at different schools, I think. A third source said it was nine games over the past three years. Some of the purchases were single tickets, others were from multiple people, and sometimes seats were bought on both sides of the stadium near midfield. One source said Stallions bought some tickets across from the home sideline in order to scout the home team, which Michigan played that season. But the source added there have also been tickets purchased on the other side of the stadium facing the sideline of the opponent, including one purchase across from the visiting sideline in the weeks before Michigan played Ohio State. Now, this is a weird phrase here. This is an anonymous source, and it's unclear exactly who this person is watching or why it would be referenced in relation to the Michigan-Ohio State game. In the back half of last season, for example, tickets were bought by Stallions on both sidelines for one league game in which Michigan had both opponents remaining on the schedule. Officials around the Big Ten are upset, according to sources. It seems strange that they can't find these officials themselves for that one. I'm not sure why there needs to be a source directed there, but I'm sure that people are upset. As allegations of this type of coordinated and orchestrated capturing of signals looms as distinctly different allegations than the gamesmanship of attempting to decode signals from across the sideline. Parenthetical which I'm not sure should be a parenthetical, in-game stealing is not prohibited under NCAA rules. They mean in-game sign stealing. I'm pretty sure that stealing actual things is still illegal. Probably a prohibition under NCAA rules. Definitely a prohibition under the law, but sign stealing is not. So when we think about American football, folks, you think about somebody signaling in plays to the offense or defense of your opponent and figuring out what they're doing in-game while you're on the other sideline, that's allowed. But going in advance to their games and seeing what their signals are and interpreting them early, that's not allowed. Broadly, that's how this is described in ESPN. This is how this is described on Twitter and other social media you might see. But when we actually look at the rules here, what is described as the part of these allegations may or may not be covered. The alleged evidence of the signals being captured on film means the Wolverines could now face more scrutiny for violating an additional NCAA rule. The first NCAA rule in question is scouting and opposing stadiums, which has been in place since 1994. Technically, it's not opposing stadiums. Again, it's it's a reference to opposing teams. It would be practices as well. The second potential rule being broken, evidence of which had not been reported prior, could mean that Michigan violated Article 11, Subsection H of the NCAA football rulebook. Any attempt to record, either through audio or video means, any signals given by an opposing player, coach, or other team personnel is prohibited. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, hey, didn't I just read that these people are going to games in which Michigan is not participating? And I said, hold on to that phrase. You'd be right, because this rule talks about an opposing player, coach, or other team personnel. And if Michigan isn't playing in that game, it's a little bit unclear how that rule would apply. We'll take a look at that more fulsomely in just a second. It's uncertain who was funding the purchases. Now, I highlighted that in red because this is a big deal. right? We're going to look at this issue, and we're going to look at the rules, and we're going to talk about some legal technicalities and interpretation of the various rules here uh, on the assumption that Michigan isn't bankrolling stallions because there's no indication of that even in the CSPN article. But if Michigan is otherwise funding this, either by paying for his credit card or directing account money to it for this purpose, then Michigan's going to have a big problem. Assuming that isn't the case, then, and we're just dealing with this person's stallions, then it's a, it's a different question under the rules. But the operation included thousands of dollars in ticket sales and the cost of travel to the stadiums. Now, I highlighted this because you just read in this article itself that Stallions isn't going to the games, or at least we have no proof that Stallions is going to the games. And so it's unclear exactly why you would include as part of the, it's ridiculous that he could pay for this, the cost of travel to the stadiums. It doesn't appear that he's going to the games. The schools began discovering Stallions had bought the tickets himself, and it raised suspicions because either the home school or visitors were future Michigan opponents. Stallions is a former captain in the United States Marine Corps who boasted on LinkedIn of his knack for identifying and exploiting critical vulnerabilities and centers of gravity in the opponent's scouting process. He'd been a volunteer at Michigan, according to LinkedIn, from 2015 to 2022, before being hired full-time in May 2022. So that's another important piece of the puzzle. He isn't an employee of the University of Michigan. He isn't an institutional staff member until May of 2022, but he is a volunteer of some kind for the seven years before that. So it sounds like he's trying to prove his value to the staff in order to get this job that he's offered in May of 2022. The allegations against Michigan, according to ESPN, could be greater than what got the New England Patriots in trouble during the Spygate scandal that unfolded during the 2007 season. The crux of those allegations revolved around in-game taping of opponent signals during Patriots games. 
The potential of these allegations being added to the NCAA case could increase Harbaugh's exposure to punishment by the NCAA head coach responsibility rules, which essentially state the head coach is responsible for everything that happens in his program, whether they are aware of it or not. We'll take a look at that rule as well. And that's basically the crux of this article, but it certainly raised a lot of discussion on social media and is the reason I wanted to do this video with all of you today. And that's because there are open questions as to whether or not this is actually a violation of the rules. Now, in order to discuss this a little bit more completely, I'm going to refer to this as the Wild Stallions scandal because I'm just that nerdy. So thank you, everybody, for putting up with me on that. But let's now take a look at things a little bit more completely. Assuming everything as alleged in the ESPN article is true, this is what we've got. Stallions buys tickets to UM opponents' games. Stallions sends tickets to third parties. Third parties tape signals in exchange for tickets. And apologies for the reference to taping. I know that this is video recording, but I'm old school. And then sends them back to Stallions. Stallions presumably analyzes the tapes to decode the signs. But the important question is, is there an NCAA rules violation here? We're going to treat this like a court of law, even though the NCAA is not going to act as a court of law. So stepping back for just a second, the NCAA is the enforcement entity here. So we're going to be looking at its rules and they're going to interpret them and decide to enforce them or not. But after that, there's going to be the possibility of a lawsuit or other legal action taken if the University of Michigan believes that the NCAA acted outside of the bounds in which they agreed to operate, right? So if you think about this as yourself, if you're working for a company and they've got a handbook for you and they accuse you of violating that handbook and they fire you, there's nothing you can do to prevent that company from taking that action at the time that it takes it. But there is the possibility that you could sue over violation of their own rules, procedures, or arbitrary and capriciousness and these various other things that are going to apply even more significantly to a public university like the University of Michigan. So we have to take a look at this and we're going to assume for purposes of this conversation that everything ESPN said even though all those sources say references are in that article is true because that's what a motion to summarily dismiss a set of allegations looks like, right? If we were in a court of law and the plaintiff had put forth what is in the ESPN article and then we say, kick this out of court, then we're saying kick this out of court, assuming everything they said is true, that there isn't a violation here. So we're going to look at it in that context, but understand that the big, the big 10 and the NCAA don't have to start with that context. They can interpret their own rules and just decide that there is an enforcement issue here. And I'm going to sit here and tell you that I do think that there is a spirit of the rules violation here. However, we wind up coming out and looking at this thing from a legal specifics standpoint. Now that's said all on the understanding that this particular rule is designed for equity. It's designed to keep the resources from being the difference in winning football games or losing basketball games or whatever it might be. And that nobody realistically thinks that Michigan's sign-stealing operation, the extent that it existed, is the reason that they beat Michigan State this weekend 49-0. to And yes, of course, I'm going to include that here. And no one believes it any more than they believe that Michigan State lost 49-0 to because they accidentally put Adolf Hitler on their scoreboard. Yes, I am still a college football fan, so I have to include those things when we're having these discussions. But nobody believes that this is that big of a difference, and yet we're still going to talk about it because it's important that we look at whether or not the rules were violated. Now, importantly, in Yahoo Sports's article that we didn't look at last week, but was covered at the same time, we do have reference to the fact that, again, stealing signals is okay, but it's the method that you steal the signals that is the potential problem under the rules. And further that Ohio State, <clears throat> who you're gonna hear a lot from either on social media or maybe even in this chat, changed their signals before the game last year and Michigan still beat them. So we're not talking necessarily about the difference between wins and losses, which is important when we're talking about penalties like vacating of wins, but we it's very difficult to unwind that question from what effect they might've had on the game if Michigan had some kind of untoward advantage in many of these games. Certainly not the Ohio State game where they said that they changed things up, not the Michigan State game where they essentially ran their plays in rather than signal them throughout the game. But you can see here in the Yahoo Sports article what appears to be described in the ESPN article we just read, one Big Ten school coach said Michigan used backdoor methods to obtain signage information. Word had spread enough that one Big Ten school feared Michigan staff members were in attendance at one of their games earlier in the season capturing signals. The real question is if it's not staff members, but it's somebody that a staff member gave tickets to in exchange for video information, is that covered? 
So let's take a look at the rule itself. And let's grab this super chat first. Stephanie Coker, thank you so much for supporting the channel. Let me see if I can grab this here. Wait, there are 11 Big Ten schools? There are 14 Big Ten schools, Stephanie Coker. Yeah, we're good at math in America. There used to be 10 Big Ten schools. There have been 11 basically my whole life. Penn State was the 11th. They had a cool logo where the shadow was actually the number 11. But uh, there have been 14 for a good long time now, and I think it goes up to like 20 next year because we're adding the Pacific Coast to the Big Ten. USC and UCLA are joining next year. It's been a wild time in NCAA football. Sorry about that. All right. Yes. As Tigeret here says, as we do in virtual legality, let's look at some primary source material. Absolutely. All right. So this is the NCAA bylaws 11.6.1. And unfortunately, even though most sets of bylaws and rules that govern organizations are written by lawyers, there's a lot here that doesn't seem at, at bare minimum either to be written by lawyers or gifted lawyers, right? Per my ethics rules, I'm not allowed to disparage the legal work of other people, but if this was written by lawyers, they made a lot of mistakes. So let's take a look at 11.6. 11.6.1, off-campus in-person scouting is prohibited. Off-campus in-person scouting of future opponents in the same season is prohibited, except as provided in bylaws 11.6.1.1 and 11.6.1.2. Then you see adopted 94, effective 94, revised in 97, revised in 13, revised in 14. We've got other revisions we're going to talk about in just a second. An institutional staff member may scout future opponents also participating in the same event at the same site. So that's an exception to the rule. So we've got a couple of things already happening just in terms of this interpretation. One, off-campus in-person scouting of future opponents is prohibited, but an institutional staff member may scout future opponents participating in the same event at the same site. What is scouting? Do you know? Is it a little different than attending? Because the next rule is going to say an institutional staff member may attend a contest in the institution's conference championship or an NCAA championship contest in which a future opponent participates. So they can attend. That's different than scouting. Generally speaking, we don't like to see the verbs change here across this rule, but we're going to talk about why that happens in just a minute. The other question here is if we've got off-person, off-campus in-person scouting of future opponents is prohibited, in-person has to be given effect, right? When we're reading contract terms, when we're thinking about how a document actually reads, we have to give effect to all the language and not just exempt it from the sentence. So if Connor Stallions, Wild Stallions, was smart enough to only send other people in his stead, is that in-person scouting? You might be inclined to say, well, yes, that's a human being, so it's in-person, it's somebody's person. But when we look at these rules, the only people that are bound by it are the member institutions and their staff members. The NCAA is not a government. It doesn't have the authority to bind every person on earth or every person in the country to its rule set. So what does in-person mean? Generally speaking, you'd assume it means the in-person staff member, right? When we get to the exceptions, we're talking about institutional staff members. Now, is somebody who agrees to send video information back to Wild Stallions an institutional staff member? You could make the case that they are, but we're going to see why that case probably falls apart when we look at some of the proposals and ways that this rule was changed pretty recently. So let's take a look at the Division One proposal for 2020 here, February 7th, I believe, 2020, where they changed some of the language in this rule as ambiguous and over-encompassing. So when we make rules, when we talk about rules, when we talk about laws, when we talk about statutes, when we talk about bylaws and contract terms, one of the things that you learn very early on in law school is that any given rules drafted by humans is going to have mistakes, it's going to have holes, it's going to have loopholes, various things technical exemptions that you hear about in the media, because when you draft a rule, you're talking about future events. And if you draft it over broadly, you're going to overcapture things that you don't want to capture behaviorally. And if you draft it too narrowly, you might not cover everything that you think you covered. So you have to go through this process, generally with lawyers, but not always, of looking at what rules you want to put forward and, and seeing exactly what you actually want to cover as part of this process. So let's take a look at 11.6.1's revisions here. So this section 11.01.5 talks about student assistant coaches and then 0.6 talks about volunteer coaches. And what they used to say is 
is not involved in contacting and evaluating prospective student athletes off campus or scouting opponents off campus and does not perform recruiting coordination functions for grad assistant coaches, right? Students, same for volunteers. And they strip that language out of those prohibitions. Why? Because it's already covered in the blanket prohibition. Off-campus, in-person scouting of future opponents is prohibited. But what the exceptions used to say is an institution's coaching staff may scout future opponents at the same site, and an institution's coaching staff may attend a, constance, a, a contest for the conference championship. Instead, that got revised to countable coaching staff, and countable coaching staff may attend those conference championships because when we're talking about counts, those grad students, those volunteer coaches, they aren't counted in the number for allowed coaches and off-campus recruiters. So they limited the exceptions to countable coaching staff, presumably because they don't want the grad students and the volunteers to have the ability to do this in-person scouting. So that all makes sense, except when you realize that the rule we just read doesn't use the phrase countable coaching staff, right? It uses institutional staff members. Why? Because the NCAA layered on another amendment to this section, presumably with the right hand not talking to the left hand, and revised it away from what we just looked at, right? So in 2019, well, see, this is this is before that. So we've got, the, but it goes effective August 1st, 2021. I got to tell you, this website and these bylaws are more difficult to read than most government statute databases if you look at them. So it's, it's really interesting. But if you look at what they changed here, they said in-person scouting prohibition, same as we read, same event at the same site, an institutional staff member may scout future opponents also participating in the same event. So they changed it to that language we were talking about. Why did they change it? Currently, only members of an institution's coaching staff are permitted to attend a contest involving future opponents participating in the same event at the same site or at a conference or NCAA championship event. As a result, all other non-coaching staff members, for example, the director of operations, are technically prohibited from attending such events on days when their team is not competing. This standard presents practical challenges, is difficult to monitor, and does little to promote competitive equity because non-coaching staff members are precluded from providing technical or tactical instruction directly to student athletes. So they said, hey, you know what? That countable coaching staff doesn't make any sense here. We're just going to say institutional staff member. We're going to include everybody that's employed by a given university that we're talking about. Now, that phrase itself isn't defined. And I see people in the chat talking about the fact that uh, there isn't a definition section. There are definition sections primarily on the rules and various other things, not these things that we're talking about right now, not what is scouting, not what is an institutional staff member, but you can see here, and this happens in real life, in things that aren't just like the NCAA bylaws, when you've got revisions to a contract, that the second revision doesn't seem to take into account why the first revision took place and so kind of skips ahead and says institutional staff member, and now there's no blanket prohibition on those grad students, coaches, or volunteer coaches, and they appear to be allowed to do this scouting at the same site and conference or NCAA championships as a result of the double revision. Still without definitions, but that's how things get complicated when we look at these documents. So when we're talking about what Connor Stallions is allowed to do or not allowed to do, it's a question of whether or not what he is accused of doing by sending tickets to other people counts as in-person scouting. The other aspect of this is that it can't be just that there's a person there because people are taking the TV video recordings that we are sure various coaches are allowed to use. Why? Because coaches use those video recordings all the time. So it has to be something more than that. And it could be that we're talking about agents. We're talking about somebody that's directed by an institutional member here, but we don't have the definitions to actually bring us to that point. So if I'm being presented this scheme, as it were, across the desk from myself at my firm, and someone says, is this allowed? I say, I think it goes against the spirit of the rules, but I'm not so sure this actually covers what you're concerned about. Why? Because it doesn't include using people that aren't related to the school as part of your plan. Let's see here. Let's make sure we get to the right. Now, the counter argument to that is that, look, at least once Stallions becomes an employee of the university, it's a little bit of an open question when he's not, and we'll talk about that in just a second as well. Uh, he's got general rules of conduct, right? Individuals employed by or associated with member institutions for the administration, the conduct or the coaching of intercollegiate athletics are, in the final analysis, teachers of young people. 
Their responsibility is an affirmative one, and they must do more than avoid improper conduct or questionable acts. Their own moral values must be so certain and positive that those younger and more pliable will be induced or influenced by a fine example. Much more is expected of them than of the less critically placed citizen. Well, the NCAA also feels highly of itself, doesn't it? But when we talk about that, that's the kind of thing where it says, all right, if Stallions is going forward and doing this thing in an effort to avoid violating the rule on its face, then that in of itself could be a rule violation because actions taken to skirt the rules are in and of themselves probably not exemplary conduct. So as I sit here and say the spirit of the rule is broken, this is an area where I think the NCAA could punish or ask for punishment of Stallions and even the university because of the, 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 the breadth and scope of what's being attempted here to avoid the direct application of the rules. Will they do that? I can't speak to that, but I do think it's worth noting that all of that exists. But going back to the accountable coach question, I think it's worth noting that as you saw in the description of the reasons for the amendment to the scouting question, that what the NCAA is most concerned with are people that have direct, direct impact or association with the student athletes themselves. So accountable coach is an institutional staff member or any other individual outside the institution with whom the institution has made arrangements, who engages in off-campus recruiting activities or provides technical or tactical instruction related to a sport. Now, if that were it, probably the people who are taking video for Wild Stallions would be subject to the accountable coach number. But the second proviso here is that that tactical or technical instruction has to be to a student athlete. They're really concerned about the people who are directly interacting with the athletes themselves rather than this kind of secondary layer of individuals. So from a technical legal perspective, I look at that particular rule and say, I'm not entirely certain that this rule was violated by using another person. And I say that on the understanding that lawyers, people in general, have a solution to this that is often implicated in rule sets, right? If you look at, for instance, the Michigan Rules of Conduct for Lawyers, as adapted by my bar, it is professional misconduct for a lawyer to violate or attempt to violate the rules of professional conduct, knowingly assist or induce another to do so, or do so through the acts of another. That's not the most complicated set of rules to actually draft for this, right? You just say, if you're doing it through another person, it still const constitutes your violation, and then you've got it covered. The NCAA doesn't want to do that because there's no easy way to say you're not allowed to get video of something through another person because there's always a cameraman. There's always somebody that is taking the video that you're allowed to use. And so the NCAA chose on this more narrow definition. And I think at the end of the day, to the extent Michigan goes forward with this, the NCAA either punishes them or doesn't, this set of rules that we're going over today is going to have to be buttoned up a little bit to at least talk about using other people outside of the institution to get done what you couldn't knowingly do yourself. So that's going to be something I think the NCAA is going to have to look at at the end of this, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily a violation today. So with that said, let's also talk about another unusual thing, right? We talked about Wild Stallions being a volunteer for seven years before he was hired in 2022. It's worth noting that the volunteer coach bylaw says the following. In sports other than football and basketball, a volunteer coach is any coach who does not receive compensation or remuneration from the institution's athletics department or any organization funded in whole or in part by the athletics department or that is involved primarily in the promotion of the institution's athletics program. The following provisions shall apply. The individual is prohibited from contacting and evaluating prospective student athletes off campus or from scouting opponents off campus and may not perform recruiting coordination functions. Volunteers are not allowed to go out and represent the school, either looking at perspectives or scouting opponents, which makes sense. But you'll note that the start of this provision is in sports other than football and basketball. And I had somebody contact me yesterday and say, I'm unclear as to what a volunteer rule is for football and basketball. And the answer appears to be that you don't have volunteer coaches in football or basketball. We can look, take a look at one of the documents here from a different university, the College of Charleston, and how they try to comply with NCAA Bylaw 11. They say you have to go through athletics compliance office, and in sports in which the NCAA rules permit the use of a volunteer coach, other than football and basketball, if the program chooses to involve a volunteer coach, the volunteer coach and head coach must meet with athletics compliance before they get signed up. And then the volunteer coach has to sign things like this. 
they are prohibited from scouting opponents off campus and things about their compensation. So the rule appears to be that you can't be a volunteer coach inside your organization in football or basketball, the, the revenue sports or the so-called revenue sports in the NCAA that tend to have people that want to glom on to the university or, or, or to the program because they're big fans, right? And it's possible that Wild Stallions was a big fan of the University of Michigan, and that's why he wanted to work with them and prove his worth over the course of seven years. I strongly expect that if this is in fact the case, that he did this, then you're going to have more information come out that suggests that he was in fact paying for people to go to these various games and report back on signals. But is that a violation for the university itself? I'm not as sure. Tigerette asks, so we're talking about exploiting gray area loopholes to stay within bounds. This appears why some folks call schools cheaters when they really mean your ethics don't fit my ethics. Understand that when I talk about this situation, I think that this is a violation of the spirit of the rules. I think that this is a kind of cheating. I do not like that my school seems to have been involved in this. But as a lawyer, I look at, will the NCAA punish the school? Probably. Will they ultimately win that punishment if the school decided to sue them back? And I'm not as sure about that. Now, the University of Michigan has historically not been a terribly litigious member of the NCAA, and they've generally acceded to investigation requests and things like that. So I expect the university to basically take what the NCAA gives it on this, but we will see. So thank you for the question, Tigerette. And folks, if you want to ask a question, you saw me highlight a super chat. That's fine. I always appreciate that support. But if you put an at Hogue Law, those tend to pop up and I see those a little bit better. And I could answer those questions as part of this video. But when we look at this, I am not trying to defend this behavior. In fact, I hate that this happened at all. But I think the story being told of a vast network or an extensive and elaborate scheme is probably a little overblown. And it certainly rings to me more of a Michigan fan that wanted to be involved with the program, trying to prove his worth by getting signals from these various other teams and proving to the staff that he could decode them. Now, does that mean that the staff knew that he was decoding them with essentially illicit materials or that he was decoding them on the day? We don't know. And unfortunately, under the NCAA rules, that means that probably Jim Harbaugh is going to be held responsible for those things because the head coach is where the buck stops on this. But is it the case that the head coach knew about this? I don't know. I do think this is more important than some of the other quote unquote cheating scandals you've seen at other schools, because this does go directly to the playing of the sport, right? Some other things, whether it's um, paying for students or, cutting them like an NFL team and oversubscribing scholarships and things of that nature that I think are in violation of the spirit aren't as directly associated with the playing of the game as it is in this particular case. So I think this is terrible. Or as Katie Cotton says here, this behavior is gross. It sounds like Wild Stallions was a rogue agent, but they are definitely going to punish Harbaugh. Well, again, I think if you stand up in front and say, we need to be more ethical and we need to be more moral and I'm going to be the pinnacle of that, you got to make sure your house is clean. So to the extent that it wasn't, I don't disagree with people being in favor of punishing Michigan. Of course, this particular year, this is as strong a Michigan team as has ever been in my life. So I would hope it doesn't hit them too hard this year. But I understand everybody that comes into my chat or social media or otherwise and says, throw the book at them for this, even if we don't think that it really changed the results of many of their games. So I sit here and I'm torn, right? Because I think you need to follow the rules. I, I like to be a, a supporter of a team and program that I think is following the rules and doing the best that they can. But is it possible that a, a specific person within a program could do something like this without the knowledge of the university? Yes, I think that that is in fact the case. I think that could be what happened here. And one of the things that is a real interesting point that is yet to be kind of shown is whether the University of Michigan helped pay for it, because that'll be the silver bullet. If you want the University of Michigan to get punished, if you want wins vacated, potentially postseason prohibitions, that's what you're looking for. That's the piece of evidence that you need is that the University of Michigan helped pay for this somehow. But yeah, as it stands right now, I don't think that they have that that much of a case. And we saw the ESPN article about recording, right? That was another aspect of what they brought up. And we'll see if I can get this to load. Sometimes it doesn't load and sometimes it does. We'll see in the football rules book here. We'll have to 
set this back up as we do that there is a generalized rule of ethics as we saw as part of the NCAA bylaws. The NCAA Football Rules Committee has extraordinary pride in the football code, which was introduced in 1916 and has been updated several times. These guidelines form a harmony of agreement among coaches, players, game officials, and administrators that places each contest in an environment of fairness and sportsmanship. So if we were looking at this as a contract, we would think about this as essentially the rule of good faith and fair dealing, right? That when we look at a contract, as you just saw me do with respect to the bylaws, we can always go in and find spaces that aren't covered either by necessity or due to bad drafting. And when you find those places, the question is, okay, can you do whatever it is that you want to do under the contract because it's allowed by the black letter of the words on the page? And the answer that we put forth in the common law is no, you can't just violate the complete spirit of the contract because we have to have some measure of trust between parties to actually affect an economy in this country and in others. And so this is the equivalent of that, a kind of equitable principle. Hey, we want to be fair. We want to have sportsmanship. It is noted that the code emphasizes the following unethical practices. Using the helmet as a weapon. The helmet is for the protection of the player. And players and coaches should emphasize the elimination of targeting and initiating contact against a defenseless opponent and or with the crown of the helmet. Every participant in the collegiate football scene shares a responsibility for ethical conduct that enhances the future of this American tradition. Now, notably, what you won't find here is sign stealing is unethical, right? Disconcerting signals and pre-snap actions is different than what we're talking about here. That's essentially faking the snap count on the defense, feigning an injury, all these various things, unsportsmanlike conduct, control of the sideline. All of these things are potential issues for sportsmanship. And we want to make sure that we're fair and sportsmanlike as much as possible. And certainly what is described by Wild Stallions here is a notion that um, Michigan was cheating the spirit of the rules. And I, I don't really disagree with that if everything that is described in that ESPN article is proven. But when they start to go and try to attach it to bylaws and rules of football, that's where I start to have an issue. So first, let's start out with the rules of football. NCAA football rules and interpretations have been designated as either administrative rules or conduct rules. Typically, administrative rules are those dealing with preparation for the contest. Conduct rules are those that have to do directly with the playing of the contest. Such administrative rules may be altered by the mutual consent of the competing ins institutions. Others are unalterable. No conduct rule may be changed by mutual consent. So these rules are divided into essentially how you prep for a game and how you organize your stadium and various things, and then how you play football. And so they say administrative rules that may not be altered include these various ones. Uh, including 11.1. We'll get there in just a second. Administrative rules that may be altered by game management without mutual consent include a bunch of the exceptions and things like that, where the, the two parties can agree on things related to like what, what uniforms they're going to wear. But let's get down to what ESPN said was a potential problem here, specifically with the individual that is videotaping the game. And they point us to Article 11, Subsection H, and we'll see if I can find it properly here. Now, it's important to note in this section that we're talking about rule one, the game, the field, the players, and equipment. And it talks about things like uh, the head coach's certification and prohibited field equipment. Article 11, jurisdiction regarding the presence and location of communication equipment within the playing enclosure resides with game management personnel. So that's the overall rule. When we're talking about communication equipment, cameras and sound devices within the playing enclosure where you're actually playing the game, that resides with game management. Television, replay, or monitor equipment is prohibited on the sidelines, press box, or other locations within the playing enclosure for coaching purposes during the game. Motion pictures, any type of film, facsimile machines, videotapes, photographs, wiring transmission machines, and computers may not be used by coaches or for coaching purposes anytime during the game or between periods. Computers, tablets, et cetera, are not allowed in the coaching booth. So this rule, as you can probably tell already, is about how a team on the sidelines of a game that they are in conducts itself and uses monitoring equipment. Monitors may be used only to view the live telecast or webcast. The home team is responsible for assuring identical television capability in the coach's booth of both teams. 
This capability may not include replay equipment or recorders. A monitor is permitted on the sideline only to assist team medical staffs in the diagnosis and treatment of student athletes. Similarly, the rest of the rules are much like that. Drones are not allowed on the field or the team area when squad members are present within the playing enclosure. Microphones attached to coaches during the game for media transmission are prohibited. And then we get to H. Any attempt to record either through audio or video means any signals given by an opposing player, coach, or other team personnel is prohibited. And that's what ESPN points to as potentially violated by, again, a third party given tickets by Wild Stallions to record signals. But the big problem you have here, definitionally, and is implied by the, the, the various rules in this section and where this section appears, is that we're really only talking about the teams that are participating in the game itself. What is an opposing player, coach, or other team personnel to a person sitting in the stands watching a game. They aren't a member of either party. And in fact, ESPN makes careful to note that these tickets are to games that Michigan isn't participating in. So when we talk about this particular rule, this doesn't appear to be violated either. Now, again, I think the spirit of the rule is that you don't send people to scout, and this is an aspect of scouting. So you go back to that NCAA bylaws rule to discuss whether there's a violation there. But this H doesn't appear to be up applicable at all. And I would be surprised if the NCAA actually pursued action on this, regardless of whether or not someone is using their iPhone or not to record the signals at the line. The question is really this bylaws question and not so much whether or not recording was used. That doesn't really change much of anything other than detail the mechanism by which Michigan may be illicitly getting information that it shouldn't have in order to do the decoding, which again, I think is a problem. And I think probably should result in Michigan being punished. I question whether or not that punishment should involve the, the the victories and status of the current team, but reasonable minds can differ on that. And certainly I am compromised and biased towards what I think should happen to Michigan football. So please take that with the grain of salt I intend. All right, let's continue on here. All right. I think that's basically all I wanted to talk about here today. So the, the issue is, again, going back to the assuming everything is alleged, is this a loophole or is this a violation? And I would suggest that based on everything I could read in the bylaws, they aren't terribly clear and there's amendments all over the place. It doesn't appear to be the case that sending tickets to someone else and having that other person uh, look at signs for you is technically a violation of the rules that we're looking at an NCAA rule loophole that probably needs to be closed in the offseason. Does that mean I'm defending Michigan? It means that I think that when you're actually going to enforce things, you probably have to point to a direct rule that's being violated, but I don't like that this behavior took place at all. So when you're out there defending things on social media, just know that it is not at all a slam dunk case that what is described in the ESPN article and presumably will be described in further articles today and over the weekend is in fact a violation of those NCAA rules, but it certainly feels like one. It looks bad for Michigan. I feel bad that this is all happening to my team that I love, but I want to look at things objectively and objectively. I'm not so sure that what we are looking at is someone that is trying to push the very edges of what the rules allow. And that's something I see a lot in my practice with things that are more important than the NCAA bylaws. So we'll see. Again, that silver bullet you're looking for is this question posed in the chat. Is Michigan paying for this? If the university is paying for this, that is going to be a silver bullet against the university because if they are, they're the member institution, they have agreed to the bylaws directly rather than Joe Schmo who got tickets from Wild Stallions. So is Michigan paying for this is a question. Last week, we talked about the fact that it didn't seem likely that Michigan could be completely unaware of all of this if Stallions was going to these places on Saturdays because Michigan plays its games during the same time Big Ten games are played across the country. But if he's paying for others and just showing up every week with how to decode the signals, there isn't anything obvious there, especially since signal decoding is allowed. Everybody has a member on staff that is trying to decode signals as part of football that he's decoding them, not because he's a genius, but because he's using illicit information. So I think there is a question there. But again, I understand everybody that looks at Jim Harbaugh and says, you're out there preening, you're taking pictures with the Pope, for God's sakes. You can't have a cheating scandal at your school. And I do think that they're right in saying that that's a reason to be upset about these various things. 
Eric asked a question. Is there a new rule about using illegal materials regardless of how it was obtained? If the video of the sidelines were mysteriously dropped in the coach's emails, is that not still against the rules? I don't think it would be against the rules, right? They're not allowed to scout personally. And again, that's to save money to allow for equity between the various resourced programs. So if you just got tapes, I'm not sure that would be against the rules. And I want to say this, I'm using the phrase wild stallion so that we can remember the scandal and everything else. But I do think that when we talk about decoding those signals on the fly, if you're doing it from an iPhone tape at the 45 yard line in a stadium with all the stuff that's happening at a college football game and you're doing it and actually being helpful to the, to the football program, you actually are probably skilled and talented in decoding these things in a way that most people aren't. I'm not sure this is actually something that can be replicated by everybody on earth, right? I don't know that you can always find a wild stallions that can pull this off for you, but in any event, I just want to say, I do not believe this is good behavior on the part of Michigan. I am not going to defend this and everything else that is shown in the ESPN article. If it's true, I think is bad. And I think Michigan should feel bad about it, but I'm not as positive as some out there that it's a violation of the rules or that Harbaugh did in fact know that his genius wunderkind signal decoder was actually doing it with illicit materials. So we'll have to see about that. All right, folks, I want to catch any questions I have. I want to make sure I don't miss any of those super chats or start items. Midnight Dreary, thank you so much for gifting a Hoglaw membership today. Folks, again, if you do want to support discussions like this, um, or other legal analysis. Usually we're covering things like video games and technology as well as headlines in the news, like the ESPN article, but generally speaking, not related to Michigan football. Please do consider supporting the channel through Patreon or Playor, used to be Utreon, uh, or signing up for a membership of your own, liking, subscribing, hitting the buttons YouTube likes, and otherwise telling folks that this video exists and that it's out there for people to see. Thank you so much and stay tuned. This is not going to go away anytime soon. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.